Hello and uh, welcome back to another edition of Irreligiosophy, where we have been interviewing people with useless degrees since January 2009. Useless philosophy is a useless degree? Um, I don't see it, much uh, people getting you know food out of it. About all you get is teachers who talk about philosophy. It pretty much is useless. <laughs> <laughs> see, even the guy who's going for the useless degree admits it's useless. It's far from useless. It teaches you valuable critical thinking skills, which Leighton entirely lacks, as I believe this podcast will demonstrate. Uh, you, you're trying to tell me all the other podcasts haven't demonstrated this enough? <laughs> so we'll add further evidence of that fact. <laughs> How much evidence do we need before we make a conclusion? <laughs> <laughs> and to that end, we have uh, Seth, who has a degree in philosophy and is pursuing an advanced degree. Is that right? That is correct. correct. What's your What's your training? Uh, masochism, um, from the sounds of it. I mean, if he's already got a degree, he knows how useless it is, and yet he's continuing with it. It's obvious he's a masochist. If you want to use your philosophy degree, you really have to get a higher degree because the only uh, job you can have is teaching, essentially. Yeah, uh, I, although I will say that uh, you know, if you want to go into law, having a, an undergraduate degree in yeah. philosophy is always a good idea. That's what I should have done. But no. <laughs> Spend my no, days helping humanity instead. Uh, yeah, what an asshole. Nothing like sore throats to get you through the day, Charlie. Saving lives, Layton. But no, I, I, I got my uh, BA uh, at a little private university. But I don't know if they want me to share this, uh, actually, that I actually went to this school. But I'm going to share it anyway. Uh, it was a little private uh, college in uh, Springfield, Missouri, uh, called was Missouri. It? Was it Patriot Bible University? <laughs> oh, no. Although I think that that would have been a, provided a much better college experience. <laughs> <laughs> what, you figure the tale is better at Patriot? Yeah, you know, you got to, I just lose it over those, you know, down to the ankles dress skirts. And uh, <laughs> uh, all, the, the striped, you know, red and white shirts. Yeah, well, you can't have any individuality. I think, right. what does Patriot Bible University have? Something like two or three rooms and a library in their garage? Yeah. yeah. That oh, has they to be. Finally, they, they, they have a, a library now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which, okay. which involves a bookshelf from uh, probably somebody's mother. So I think it involves uh, an old 486 computer hooked to the internet uh, with Google as the main page. Or is Layton's uh, main research Wikipedia? Yes, yes, and Charlie's going to continue to say that. So, <laughs> I love Wikipedia. You would be surprised at how many uh, academics actually use Wikipedia as a, a source. Of course, they never cite it, right? But but it's a very good uh, resource to just give you a sort of you know heads up on something. I don't think Wiki you should solely academia by putting me next to it. Wikipedia is a is a good source for getting the broad strokes, the overall exactly. Uh, general uh, overview of the topic, I agree. Uh, unfortunately, that's about as deep as Layton ever goes. <laughs> oh, I, I've, spent, uh, I've spent far too many days than I want to remember just scrolling through various Wikipedia articles, going from one to the next, you know, I'll click all these links. And so, so most of my knowledge, I mean, you know, yeah, I've got degrees and stuff, but really most of my knowledge is derived from Wikipedia. Just like Layton. Yeah. Wonderful. In fact, that's where I learned my masturbation techniques. So uh, now you're pursuing an advanced degree in philosophy uh, in Ireland. That is correct. And I what, still can't do an Irish accent properly. What, what drew you to Ireland? Uh, uh, getting out of uh, Mississippi, probably. <laughs> hey, Mississippi's a nice place to live if you don't mind, you know, all the creationists and the Baptists. Southern Baptists yeah. walking about. Uh, but, you know, that's a, neither here nor there. Uh, no, I was drawn to Ireland because uh, my my advisor was someone who I wanted to study under, and uh, and don't yeah do something with that, Leighton. <laughs> I was holding my tongue on this one, but uh, it, it it begs to question: Do you pitch or do you catch? He studied uh, I'm, under. I'm always the, the catcher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure. So, what is your um, area of expertise in philosophy? What <clears throat> what are you emphasizing, and what's your dissertation on? Well, my, my dissertation's on this rather marginal 19th century uh, left Hegelian philosopher. Um, if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. It's incredibly boring. Um, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go out on a wild uh, limb here. And 
point out that I don't know what Hegelian means? Well, you would be correct. What the <laughs> hell is a Hegelian? And predict that your dissertation is based on a, an old white dead male. Am I right? That's good. <laughs> how the, How did you know that? Uh, I thought spirit. I was doing something really innovative. The spirit told me. <laughs> the absolute. <laughs> yeah. So what's it about? Who is this uh, obscure dead white male? Yeah, well, you know, he was uh, sort of re- – he was really the last uh, Hegelian philosopher. And once, once again, right, that's right. really – You're going to have to defi- define <laughs> Hegelian. I am not a philosopher. What the hell is uh, Hegelian? Uh, okay, well, just, you know, for simplicity's sake, basically uh, – he he was this, he was like a, a rock star, okay, of, of 19th century Germany, uh, 19th century Germ, uh, German academia, of course, particularly. But uh, he had this whole system. Uh, was, uh, I don't know. Uh, basically, that there's an absolute, and, and you know the absolute is unfolding throughout history, and you know everything is working towards. It's, it's really actually quasi-religious. I mean, it seems. Very religious. He, he himself was a Lutheran, although that's sort of, you know, a lot of people say, no, he wasn't a real Lutheran, but, uh, but he was very mystical. So basically sense. you're saying that there's an absolute truth or some sort of absolute destiny that uh, mankind is moving towards. That's what uh, Hegelian is? Yeah, the absolute is, is unfolding, and that's what, uh, you know, it's unfolding throughout history. And uh, I don't know, you know a whole whole lot about Hegel, but uh, where where was he writing? Was it uh, early, mid, or late 19th century? Um, it was like um, sort of the earlier half. It was. It was pre-Darwin? Um, yes. Because the uh, that absolute unfolding often, you know, it sounds like the... Um, mischaracterization of Darwin that was very common in the 19th century uh, ah. that, that, you know, it was a, this ladder instead of a bush that, that the evolution was marching uh, forward to this uh, end and that was, you know, human beings, of course. Right, right. Maybe yeah. maybe that was a Hegelian uh, misconception. Maybe that was <laughs> driven by Hegel. Uh, yeah, no, no, I could totally see that. I'm sorry, my views on that is is just plain bullshit. Uh, evolution. The only reason why we can sit there and think, oh well, we're going towards the more perfect thing, is because we actually have the ability to think. I don't think you have uh, monkeys out there sitting there thinking the same thing about all they want to do is fling poo. So this entire concept of moving towards an absolute truth or absolute perfection through knowledge or, or whatever have you, I, I don't know. I don't think I'd buy into that. How do you know what monkeys are thinking? Uh, well, they have sucked my dick, which is where I got AIDS. But... <laughs> oh, my God. It's a, a very rich ape upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> See, my mother believes I was raised by wolves, but uh, technically it was apes. So this guy that you uh, are doing dissertation on is uh, one of the last Hegelians? Yes, uh, possibly the last, or the last <laughs> to explicitly refer to himself or, or actually be referred to as a Hegelian. And the, the only way, I mean, the only real reason that we could call him something of a, an Hegelian is that the, the sort of logic he uses uh, in his argument, and this is, I don't think, actually that important uh, to his argument, the sort of Hegelian dialectic, as it's called, which is, you know, just so you know, it's like you have uh, in the Hegelian dialectic, you have the thesis, uh, you know, uh, which is just for the sake of argument, let's just call it a statement. Uh, then you have the antithesis, which is the opposite statement. So if you say, you know, it's a crude example, this is white, this is the, this is white as the thesis, then the antithesis would be this is black. And then you have it all, you know, wrapped up in the synthesis, which so is, you know, it's Hegel, gray. Hegel was a racist. Is that right? Is that what this I'm This is what I'm hearing. <laughs> the white and delightsome versus those cursed. The dark and loathsome? Yes. Uh, yeah. If the dark and loathsome are righteous, will they turn white? Yeah. Could the antithesis, if it was uh, righteous, um, get whiter? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. All right, so so wait, 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 so so what exactly is your dissertation moving towards? Are are you one who's buying into this this absolute movement towards perfection? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, Stenner himself, uh, the guy I'm writing about, didn't buy into it. 
the Shtuna guy. He's basically, uh, he's, he's what we in philosophy would call a nominalist, okay? There's no such thing uh, for Shtuna as generalities, as concepts, you know. Uh, the, for example, the, the word God does not signify anything. It's just an empty word because there's no, there's nothing that you can say, you can point to and say that's, you know, that's God. Uh, similarly, he would say there's, you know, when you use the term humanity, you can't point to something and say that's humanity. Humanity is a concept, it's a generality with no ontological grounding. You know, it doesn't exist. So essentially, he's entirely rejecting Plato uh, with his, <laughs> you know, essentially all Plato is is generalities, right? The theory of forms. So right. he's saying there is no ideal triangle. There are just specific instances of triangles. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I mean, it, it is very, very radical, uh, which is why it still to this day surprises me that, that uh, more people haven't engaged with his work, but I'm crying inside that that's what you believe <laughs> radical is. I am seriously crying inside. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think in, if one does accept in all it, of in all of Leighton's uh, research into uh, the great philosophers of history, yes, uh, he does not consider that to be radical. No, oh, okay. no, I'm just saying your general outward life views, if that's what you consider radical, I am so sorry. <laughs> Shtana lived in the 19th century. What what was radical for his time is uh, probably not radical at all today. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's true to, to an extent. I mean, st you know, even modern philosophers, though, they would, uh, you know, they would, assuming they did read uh, The Ego on its Own, which was his, his really his only book, uh, I think that they would find that there are far too many bullets that they would have to bite if they were going to accept uh, the the large majority of his thesis. Yeah, within philosophical circles, I think it is quite radical. And as a general worldview, um, the fact that we can categorize, say, species, for example, uh, into species, and we have the nesting hierarchies, seems to refute that there is no generality possible. Um, but I'm sure he has uh, finer arguments uh, in in the bulk of his work. Oh, I should hope so, yeah, considering well, the dissertation is being written about it. Well, also, I, I think that what Shtun is really trying to address here is, is not so much... Um, uh, well, I mean, obviously, he's not trying to address science. I think that's a different argument, but, but he's really trying to uh, debate with the, uh, the humanism of his day, sort of, frankly, newly emerging super philosophy that, uh, that, you know, there's something special about humanity. Uh, and, and really, you know, moreover, there is no God, really, the humanity is sort of the pinnacle. But what Stana said is that, aren't we just making a God out of humanity? Then, and similarly, if we can also say that humanity does not exist, then that, you know, seems to make it even more resemble God. And so that's his argument against, uh, you know, humanity in a nutshell. Humanism, rather. Sounds gotcha. like too much self-importance. <laughs> it's funny you say that, because he's, uh, you know, his, his philosophy has come to be called uh, individual individualist anarchism or egoism, as he preferred to be called. Uh, he wasn't really, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, traditional anarchist. Did he um, perpetuate any ethical views? <laughs> uh, no. For, for him, ethics was uh, just as much of a, what he would say, he would call it a spook, uh, <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> as humanity or God. Gotcha. And that's sort, of, you know, that's sort of where I think, uh, have, that's why I criticize these new atheists who are themselves... Uh, very adamantly atheistic, but they also propound this this very moral language. I mean, if you listen to any of, you know, if you listen to Hitchens or, or Dawkins or these guys talk, I mean, their language is just morally loaded. And uh, and they talk about it like it's the most obvious thing in the world. You know, I mean, I a show that I watch on a regular basis is uh, Penn and Teller Bullshit, uh, which I, I love, you know, politically, I think we're sort of on, we're sort of similar uh, that is Penn and Teller and I, um, but uh, but just you know, Penn is especially uh, culpable here uh, because I mean he's also an objectivist, 
uh, part of that whole cult. So he thinks not only is morality real, but it's, you know, objective. Wow. We know that it's real. Wow. I would love to hear the arguments marched out for the objectivity of morals. Yeah. I know I understand like the Ayn Rand type objectivity um, and and I – well (laughs) – He has read it in other words. I suppose I've heard it. Yeah. I I refute it. You know, I I would dispute that particular rendering of ethics. But I think if there's anything that's plainly obvious, it's that uh, ethics is not objective. That um, there is no uh, third-party test you can do independent of anything else that all observers will come to the same idea about an ethical dilemma. I mean, name any ethical dilemma, and there are people on both sides of the issue. Right, right. Now, hold on. Uh, Now, your disgruntlement with new atheists is the fact that they get mired in this discussion with morality – uh, I'm assuming you're uh, you're referring to God gives us morals versus uh, we get our morals for our own decisions. This this is your uh, disgruntlement with the entire New Atheist movement. Uh, I think my uh, disgruntlement uh, is uh, more broad than that. Um, I, I just I think that they need to they need to think you know before they speak, <laughs> which of course you know very few of them can can seem to do. Um, and uh, before they start, you know, tossing these morally loaded terms around, I think they need to address, well, what is morality? Can, can we know it exists? Is, it, is there something uh, intrinsically motivating about it? And, and I, I would say that, no, I mean, we, we can't, uh, you know, at the very least, morality, morality does not seem to be a part of the material world. Um, and so that alone if we are you know as good naturalists or materialists that alone should give us pause and we should i think investigate it before we start trotting out this moralistic bullshit so it's your argument that's very similar to um my argument with a bunch of creationists that uh they start talking about ethics based on this authoritarian system right i derive my ethics commonly you'll watch a christian debate and um, the atheists will talk in moral terms, and you can see the Christian getting uh, upset while they're doing this, and, and the next thing is they stand up and they say, you are borrowing language from Christianity when you talk about ethics at all. Um, you, we have this authoritarian system derived from God. God sets our ethics, and uh, we are completely consistent in that, but you atheists have no basis for your morals or ethics. And my counterargument to that is you haven't done the groundwork for proving the existence of God. So anything that flows from right. that uh, is suspect. So first prove that there is a God, and then second, you can prove that your God tells you these morals somehow. But, uh, so your argument... Then, but, I was gonna, but even then, um, you know, let's just assume that there is a God, okay? And that there, let's assume that, that this God uh, you know, has prescribed moral laws. Um, that really doesn't that really doesn't get past the problem. Because if there is a God and if he does prescribe these moral rules, then doesn't that just defer the question of morality? I mean, it's just... Not, the, not if the God is uh, 100% benevolent. If he is um, incapable of being evil uh, or acting morally wrongly, uh, then you could assume that every one of his decisions and every one of his laws would be, by definition, moral. Or ethical. Well, right, but you know I, what I, I think. What I'm trying to say is that you know, if if God were to prescribe these moral laws, uh, first first of all, if we're not assuming divine command theory, then we're assuming that there exists a morality outside of God. And that's, that's another just... question. That's another question <laughs> they'd have to face, right? Their question is, or my question to them would be, uh, is it moral because God says so, or does God say it because it is moral? Um, right. It, is it is there morality outside of God, or is morality just whatever He happens to say? Exactly. Well, I mean, yeah, it's classic Euthyphro dilemma. Oh, uh, but but I would say term. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now hold on a second. All right, so so your entire problem with the new atheists is that they use the terminology that these Bible bashers do. 
that's not my entire problem with him. I just think they also make shit arguments. Um, <laughs> or at the very best, their arguments are just, you know, recycled from other better uh, actual philosophers like David Hume. Uh, all right, all right. So, so let, let's settle it right here then. We now have on the show uh, a philosopher who's uh, just about to write his dissertation and graduate and a half-assed philosopher that did it so he could move on to medical school. So why don't we ground this and uh, actually say, okay, what would be the response to this? Response to what? Well, to uh, this, uh, this argument that uh, keeps popping up. He has difficulties with the terminology used, and uh, basically, uh, if I'm understanding properly, Basically, these new atheists are dropping down to the level of the Bible bashers in order to go back and forth on the moral issue. So what would be the better tack to take? I think Seth, well, good question. What would be a better tack to take? Um, I think that it would be nice if we could just uh, do what at the moment I think is the only really you know, responsible thing to do. And I think that we can, we can talk about... Morality. I mean, we, we can talk in terms of we can categorize certain actions that take place that are, take place in certain situations as having certain moral properties, which just you know to define moral properties is just these these sort of common common characteristics of these actions, and you know we we can explain it you know maybe in terms of evolution, uh, you know how did we get to be the way that we are in terms of you know how did we get to care about fairness and stuff. Um, but we can't be prescriptive in moral terms because we, we don't, I mean, why? You know, why would we be, what are we prescribing on what basis? Um, so in order for us to have anything other than descriptive ethics, in other words, it's okay for us to kind of look around and, and see what people have decided might be good or evil or evolutionarily speaking, right. concepts of fairness and justice. But in order for us to, say, condemn an action by a Christian as evil or immoral, we would have to first lay the groundwork for our making that decision. Exactly. Uh, and one um, ex-preacher, Dan Barker, who's now an atheist, has, has attempted to do that in that uh, any of these, you know, if you get into deontology or utilitarianism, virtue ethics, they all have premises that you have to accept. If you don't accept the premises, you won't accept the conclusions. The premise that uh, Dan Barker has given is that uh, we should do no unnecessary harm, basically. Mm -hmm. Avoid unnecessary harm. That's the basic premise. From that basic premise, you can derive uh, quite a bit of prescriptive moral ethics if you accept that premise. And his justification for accepting the premise is that it's a kind of descriptive <laughs> justification. If you poke someone with a sharp stick, they tend to recoil from pain. They don't like it. So stop doing it. Depends on um, the person, actually. Unless it's necessary. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but you also get into a problem with stuff like that, that we all assume is immoral, like lying. You'd have to go into a lot more justification than physical pain to right. say that lying is immoral. And and I, I agree uh, with the basic concept that the new atheist, philosophically speaking, other than Daniel Dennett, we have no philosophers. We have no rigorous philosophers in the new atheist movement. Uh, Dawkins is not a philosopher. He's a biologist. Uh, Sam Harris is a, um, what, a neuroscientist? Uh, yeah, I think he actually did get his BA in philosophy. Did he? Yeah, I believe so. Ah, I have to look that up. Um, I have not been impressed with his philosophical arguments. Uh, you know, but, after after, after uh, Dawkins and and some of Hitchens, I just got too tired to read anymore. You know, <laughs> stuff, so so I sort of uh, I, sh I should I should I should say though that I, that I I love Hitchens, you know, as as just a speaker. I mean, listening to him just talk is like I have such a man crush on the guy, you know. But uh, but Hitchens it, is yeah, Hitchens is definitely witty. He's engaging. Uh, interesting to listen to. Uh, he sometimes gets some of his facts wrong, but he's a much better rhetorician, a much better mm -hmm. debater, much better um, speaker uh, than he is a thinker. Yes, yes. Did you see the, the, um, his debate with Al Sharpton? No. <laughs> oh, I would oh, love to I, see that. 
Oh, I, w- I was ashamed because because I actually thought Sharpton won. Really, Sharpton? Yeah, Hitchens. I know. I mean, it's like a it's like a you know wheelchair bound retard uh, kicking Superman's ass. Wait, 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 wait. How drunk was Hitchens during the debate? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't recall. It's hard to tell with Hitchens. That's a good I, I question. Think, yeah, I think it, you know. It seems that the drunker he gets, I, I'm assuming uh, the drunker he gets, his hair sort of gets messier. You know? <laughs> Have you noticed this? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's from just passing his hand over the sweat pot. <laughs> and he Hitchens. just his eye, he blinks very slowly and. Uh, Hitchens has like a like a J-shaped curve where there's a certain blood alcohol level where he is just spot on, right? Mm-hmm. And he almost needs that alcohol level to to fully engage the debate. Past that he kind of, you know, he starts getting slurred speech, fumbling around with his microphone and yeah, he lets uh, inferior people get the better of him. Yeah, as as obviously happened in the Sharp, Sharpton debate. I mean, I would recommend it, but I mean, I think it'd probably be more painful than anything else. He's either too sober or too drunk. He's he's not uh, yeah. not at the optimum level not of pleasantly of blood warmed out. is is the proper term. <laughs> he's not pleasantly warmed. So yeah. what we need as new atheists, I agree, is um, a rigorous kind of ethical system, um, and that's that's a tough road to hoe because it has been attempted multiple times in the past, and no ethical system so far stands up to really rigorous critical scrutiny. Well, yeah, I mean, even even real actual philosophers, and not make believe philosophers, but real right. actual philosophers are still trying. I mean, they're struggling with this, right? Of course, and it all it all depends on the basic premises, and and uh, the the main problem with uh, philosophical ethics. Well, I see two main problems. One, there's no carrot and stick like there is for religion. You talked about intrinsically motivating factors. There's nothing about utilitarianism that motivates you to be a good person. Uh, nothing about deontology that motivates you to be a good person. In religion, it, it's built into the system. You're, if you're a good person, you get a reward in heaven. You get a whole mansion built for you by Jesus, apparently. If you're bad, then you go to hell and get tortured uh, for all eternity. So uh, there is kind of a, an intrinsically motivating factor inside religious ethical systems. Well, actually, see, I, would, I think I would actually disagree on that because, you know, like I was saying before, even if you have this God, you know, grant that. Um, and, you know, regardless of which side of the Euthyphro dilemma this God's nature falls on, uh, I think that it's still just a matter of, you know, it's still just an arbitrary mandate. I mean, yeah, it's God, but especially an atheistic God, uh, a very anthropomorphic God, it's still, it's just an arbitrary mandate. There's still no intrinsic value to these moral prescriptions. If he is 100% benevolent, I don't know how you'd go proving that, but if he was, <laughs> wouldn't he be considered an expert on ethics? And couldn't you derive an authoritarian system based upon his expert testimony? Well, that's just an appeal to authority, isn't it? It is, certainly. <laughs> um, but it, it is an appeal to his authority within his area of expertise, which carries a little more weight than your typical appeal to authority. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, I mean, sure. I mean, if he were sure. in a court of law, he'd pass that basic uh, – Justification for considering him an expert, assuming he is uh, already moral. But again, I suppose it's a begging the question: How do you gauge how moral God is? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I mean, by the standards of God, don't right. you think that's a little like cheating? A little circular. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Circular. Now, now we've actually got kind of a kind of an interesting thing here. Uh, right now, there are two philosophers, and there's me, the average Joe. Now, my education has been uh, more technical, uh, electronics, uh, 3D modeling, Coast all Guard. that bullshit. Well, Coast Guard, that's be. just to kind of lounge around <laughs> on the beaches of Hawaii, but uh, beyond that. But <laughs> so I. Uh, I've been considering it while we were coming up to this, and uh, Leighton could be considered an expert in equine pornography. That's true. Ooh. That's true. That puffer fish and I, we did have our time. <laughs> that's something Equ- to put on your CV. <laughs> e- equine, equine so, actually means horse, Leighton. Yeah, it does. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> that's fu- oh, actually, I did have me quite a few horses growing up, so excellent. I'll accept excellent. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so basically, 
the way I view morals is more from observation. Now, you're probably going to laugh at my equation of it, but the way I look at morals is, is much like a woman, uh, how she looks on the bad boy. Now, evolutionarily speaking, women look towards the bad boy uh, because he is strong, he is aggressive, he can protect them. Basically, something they needed before uh, evolution and before mankind brought us to the point now where women don't need to be protected as badly. But as they go along, they start using the brain that evolved in them, and they start noticing that, hey, the bad boy treats them like shit. That's the way I view actual morals. Evolutionarily speaking, much like wolves, there, there's a hierarchy. Is there, is there a point to this sexist <laughs> diatribe? I'm trying to get to it, jackass. Kiss my ass. I'm pointing out, yeah, it's sexist diatribe, whatever the fuck you want to call it. What I'm pointing out is, evolutionarily speaking, it brings us to a certain point, much like the hierarchy of wolves. But then from that point on, you actually start using your brain and developing your own. So how, with that sort of construct, do you sit down and uh, actually set out rules for morals? I mean, your argument is that the New Age atheists... They are using the, the new age. whatever the fuck they are. <laughs> yeah, we all know how much I pay attention to this whole movement. So the the yeah. new age may does that mean they listen to new age music? I wonder. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so the new atheist, your argument is that they're they're using more of the Bible basher. They're not using the proper arguments. So how, as the average Joe like me, of course I'm wondering how many out there are considering themselves like me, but how do people like me actually stand up and not go against your uh, your disgust level on uh, these arguments? Well, um, that is a very good point. Pragmatically speaking, the new atheist hands would be tied in any ethical debate if they have to spend 15 minutes building up their moral system uh, instead of just assuming it as the Christian does. See, and that was my point. I'm glad that the sexist diatribe actually worked. The average person it tends to get a little skeptical of these pinhead uh, philosopher professor types uh, when they go into all this jargon about you know intrinsically motivating or uh, you know deontological the maxim of your behavior principle yeah. et cetera et cetera the glazed eye effect is what I like to think of it as <laughs> right so you end up risking as an atheist who, who people already believe. Uh, is immoral because otherwise if he were moral he'd believe in god of course you're risking being viewed as kind of pussyfooting around and and uh avoiding the issue yeah, I mean, whereas this know, guy is just saying you know here's what it is this is right this is wrong pragmatically speaking i'm not sure that's the right tech to take well i think i think that you know i th honestly I, th I think that we just have to expect better quality uh arguments to come from atheists because you know i mean let's face it i, I think you would agree that both uh, or you know both the atheist and and the believer in whatever religion you know if they were to both start a debate and they were both to decide to decide to use moral language then i think that uh, i think that they both have a lot of explaining to do but of course you know okay the god you know just just decides what's good thing we'll grant the christians that because that's what they do and who really cares anyway but with the atheists, you know, they're supposed to be... I think I, I would like for them to come at the uh, issue from a more honest uh, level. What would and... that look like in, in a debate? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the overall question here is what exactly would that look like? How would we even know? <laughs> so uh, you're I... in a debate against a Christian and he says, you know, these are the rules that God has told me and I'm going to follow those. Uh, and what do you have to say about that, Mr. New Atheist? What should they say? Uh, what I think they should say would make them look like they were tripping all over themselves. Um, <laughs> but so, so no, so I, so I understand yeah, here, you know, in practical terms, you know, this is kind of a ridiculous thing to expect. Um, but I'll then I think, we're I... Just gonna, I think we're just going to have to, to, to take these new atheists as maybe being what they really are, that they're really entertainers more than anything else. And that's fine. You know, Bill Maher uh, goes on real time and does his thing um and and he he knows he's a comedian i mean that's sort of what he does but i think we just need to think of maybe all of these new atheists as being entertainers especially when none of them actually uh, with the exception of dennett none of them actually do philosophy yeah i think um my response uh, i suppose when being challenged on that would be 
A, to say, I look, I have thought a lot about my own personal ethical system, uh, and I can certainly go into that if you'd like. Uh, but B, let, you've just given an ethical system. Uh, let's review this. Let's review the Christian ethical system. And afterwards, if you fun. like, afterwards, <laughs> if you like, we can we can review mine. But um, let's add, you know, here here's what you guys are expecting us to believe that this this supreme being who who you just say exists because you certainly haven't proven it is 100% good and so we have to take his word for it because there's no independent criteria for being good other than outside of god um so he's 100% good and everything he does is good and i think every christian would agree with that and then you you would list out several instances in both the old and the new testament where uh, god seems to violate his own commandments and uh, therefore, he's either good in the first place by giving the commandments and evil in the second or wrong in the first place and good in the second. Um, it, the whole Christian argument falls in on itself. Um, and you probably don't even have to give your own ethical structure, which I believe, uh, you know, both the two major uh, philosophical movements in uh, 20th century, the existentialists and the positivists, uh, both came to the conclusion that values and, and ethical judgments are subjective. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, you it's know. funny. I consider myself an existentialist, existentialist positivist. So. Really? So you've combined the two. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> they, they, um, but they arrived at totally different ways, right? But they both agreed uh, on this. Um, Bertrand Russell, I believe, who is the positivist, and uh, who was it? Uh, Sartre, the most famous uh, existentialist. Mm -hmm. um, and they both came to, to the same conclusion by totally different ways. So you can go through and bore the shit out of the audience with your own ethical system. Um, and, and here's why I think that this is a moral behavior or not. I think the more effective, pragmatically speaking, course would be to attack the Christian's obviously ridiculous and self-contradictory ethical system. I mean, yeah, I think that's actually a great idea. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe – the purpose of the new atheists is just to be in their arguments purely destructive. Whereas I think that, that what they seem to be wanting to do is being both destructive and uh, productive, right? Because they, they, right. they would like to see us move to this other, this high ground, this moral high ground without being bogged down by these, you know, all this crazy shit that you know, God has done. Um, sure. And that, that's Where? fine. You know, I mean, the, the guy who I'm writing about now, Stana, he, he basically just incinerates everything in his path and everything that came before him, but he never offers any solutions. It just sort of leaves us with the problems. And that's fine. I think there's a lot of integrity in that, especially when it's obviously so tough to give an, give an answer. Right. Um, the, the big problem is they'll, they'll typically, the new atheists will point to secular humanism, um, but secular humanism has its own problem too. I mean, I suppose you're right in that uh, we we say, look, we're not uh, we're we're condemning morally this God because he's violated his own rules by any objective measure, or even subjective measure. He is uh, immoral, rankly immoral, and they want to take the moral high ground. But the unfortunate fact of the matter is, no moral high ground exists. That place is a fairy tale. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, so I think that the best thing we could do is just to point out the contradictions in the Christian conception of morality and, and let, let that make itself destruct. And, and I think that's, uh, we really don't have to worry about making moral arguments uh, and, until, we, until we have to, I guess, when we, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But if we, if we think, you know, but for the purpose yeah. of the new atheists, for them to just destroy uh, or, or let the, the argument destroy itself, rather, you know, the, the Christian argument, I think it's that a, that is a great thing to do. I think that that's a good yeah, idea. Definitely a valuable service. When people come to realize how ridiculous religion is and, and how um, crazy all this stuff except is. Except for Scientology. Scientology. Except the one true the religion. One true religion. Now, now, I agree entirely. Right. What it comes down but to what, is laughter. Once you laugh at something, you can't look at it the same. Sure, absolutely. But when once they dissociate themselves and go through that often painful process – they will cast about looking for something to replace it with. And so yeah, far – That's what's really scary. <laughs> that's the problem. So far, secular humanism is kind of the farthest along. But uh, I think we certainly have our work cut out for us uh, as far as constructing a, kind of a replacement. Um, and I think that, that may be the one failure of the new atheist movement is that there really is 
you know, there, there's a bunch of atheists, right? But the only thing they really have in common is skepticism and a uh, lack of belief in God. Other than that, it's and not really necessarily important. skepticism. I know a lot of stupid atheists. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not it just, generally it just to say that atheists are smarter than the average person. It's just to say that they are smarter where God is concerned. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll grant that. Yeah, um, they're at least skeptical as far as uh, claims of, of mainstream religion. Right. Um, there tend to be fewer UFO and Bigfoot-believing atheists as well, but uh, that may be less uh, intelligence uh, and more crazy conspiracy theory. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a second following curve, right? Uh, right, um, right. The UFO crashes did happen. I have evidence. Do you? Is it in your pants lately? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, you stole my punchline. Yeah, that's not a difficult punchline to guess. That's his punchline to every joke. Well, not every joke. Yes. Sometimes they include my hand. Some, sometimes there's a misogynistic comment in there. That's true. <laughs> so I like to throw that in to throw people off. So Right. right. So, uh, I mean, I suppose we could make a, a call to philosophers everywhere to <laughs> come up with a, a new eth- ethical system. I'm not sure that's possible. Or you know, maybe I, I, we have to change the terms of the argument and say, look, guys, um, there is no such thing as, as independently objective uh, and, and verifiable ethical system, and you know, we, we just got to live with that. Well, once again, this is the religious we're talking about. You say that sentence, and they're just going to go, huh? Yeah, well, and we could also be, you know, we could be pragmatic. We could be pragmatist about it and say, okay, well, there is no independently existing objective values you know there are no independently existing objective values so that's fine but we seem to have found something that seems to work you know um uh work in terms of as if we're not out on the streets killing one another then there's a bigger chance that you know i i being you know the subject that i am not going to get killed and that is good for me well, you know, to, so basically, the what you're talking about is the Ten Commandments. <laughs> oh, Jesus. See, the, see, the problem I see here is, is with anybody religious that you're going to get into a debate with, you have to sit down and you have to educate them first on even the simplest of terms, such as subjective versus objective views. Without even sitting down and giving that, them that education, they can't even understand just how far off the, the pole they are. Well, I think I think maybe uh, you know if if say I were debating a Christian and the Christian said, "Okay, well, what about you know how do we have morality without God?" I think maybe what I would do and maybe what all these atheists should do is say, "I'm sorry, I didn't realize that this was part of the debate. What we're here to debate is your God. Does your God exist? Can you prove it? Morality has nothing to do." With it. Well, the problem right. with that tact is you'll get a lot of religious people who are saying you are brushing aside the issue. They'll actually think they won that sort of argument. And well, I think a, a, on. a better tack would be before we talk about ethics, you have to do the groundwork because your system of ethics is based on an authority. Your authority <laughs> is God. You have not done the groundwork of proving this guy exists. So let's talk about that first. See, I like that yeah, yeah, and I, I don't think uh, I think if you started talking about that, I don't think that the uh, conversation would ever evolve to morality, right? Because, because you would have you, know, you would be so busy destroying this guy's argument. Um, I don't know if it would never evolve to it because every discussion I get in with somebody religious, it always somehow finds its way circling back on the morality issue. It seems to and, be and, you know, one I, card that they can play. Right. And, and I, I will actually say that uh, this is something that just occurred to me now. There is one uh, philosopher, I don't know if you've heard of him, his name is William Lane Craig. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I can tell you pretty. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, he's wow. Uh, but he does have this rather unusual argument for the existence of God, where he actually proves God's existence supposedly by reference to morality. Yeah, that is one of their common. Um, it's kind of a circular argument, but uh, it is one of their common tactics that. Um, the existence, you know, the the fact that we're able to to talk in terms of good and evil, is because good and evil actually exist, and it's because God exists. Um, right. Though that sort of transcendent argument that that there there are transcendent there are ideas that transcend us, 
Um, it's a transcendental argument or a, a subcategory of it. And one of these, you know, is that we could we have these terms of good and evil, and and we share um, even cross cultural some basic uh, beliefs, like you shouldn't uh, kill people unnecessarily. Um, and some of the common counter arguments to that, you know, you, you know about the there's this um, Alaskan Eskimo tribe that that used to because they couldn't uh, um, supply food for all of their people over these long winters. Uh, once uh, some of the tribe became unproductive or at a certain age, like 50 or 60, they would go through this ritual killing basically where they would send the guy off into the wilderness and he'd freeze to death and die. Well, that was prevalent um, in a few different tribes. Uh, once you weren't able to provide for the society as a whole, you would lose the uh, the ability to maintain the society. So, and I think uh, that's a great idea. You know, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the counter-argument, even in that case, once they uh, kind of got caught up in the modern world where they were able to feed everyone and, and um, exist throughout these long winters, uh, that practice stopped. So uh, there may be common uh, ground uh, that, that – uh, and I would say that's because of evolution, right? And we all evolved from a common ancestor under similar situations, and we have this stuff hardwired into us. But uh, uh, that's the argument they use, and I think we probably do have to grapple with that argument. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, I, I know you're putting down the new atheists, but uh, I mean, when the new age atheists, the new age atheists, and uh, yeah, these, if, if all these comes... crystal bearing, incense sniffing <laughs> atheists, damn them and their magic ways. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, seriously, this is the one wild card that that the religious actually believe they have, and they constantly fling it in the face of every debate that goes on. So I mean, like monkeys with poo. Exactly. Yeah, it exactly. is true. It's they... like the martial arts who flung poo. So they do. They. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, lost I've your lost, train of thought. Entirely lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, it's a good point because this this will keep coming up over and over and over again, and we have to uh, we have to find a good strategy for uh, tackling this this issue, uh, and it yeah. needs to be as simple as possible so that even the uh, most idiot fundamentalist Christian can understand the argument. He'll reject it, but at least he'll be able to understand the argument. Right. Right. Uh, you know, there is, I, I should say that <clears throat> I was listening to another podcast earlier today. What? And, you bastard. <laughs> That's it. We're hanging know, up right I now. I know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I was. And, and there was this uh, philosopher who went on uh, named Alonzo Fife, uh, F-Y-F-E. And he claimed that he had a purely naturalistic uh, account of ethics or, or morality, you know, I guess, uh, I kind of I use the two interchangeably, even though that's probably not a good idea, uh, but I do. And and he said that he had uh, this this ethical system that was consistent with naturalism, and you know it didn't refer to anything uh, that that you know, it didn't refer to anything that was intrinsic or you know something like that. And and I didn't actually have the time to listen to his argument, but I, I'm just saying I, that uh, I'm very interested in listening to what he has to say, and maybe. Your listeners might want to check that out. I mean, they, they won't. But. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the podcast? Uh, it was Conversations from the Pale Blue Dot, huh. which is very good. It's right right below your guys' podcast. You know. <laughs> <laughs> the totem well, pole my next podcast. question is, if, if he's listening to other podcasts, what's right above our podcast? There's nothing above our podcast. Uh, uh, Kent Hope's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, at least he's got his priorities straight. That's called Tales While Getting um, Ass Raped in Prison. Well, Tales <laughs> on Dropping the Soap in the Shower. Uh, okay, so basically our charge to the New Atheist Movement is to uh, be more, at least, at the very least, more aware uh, when you're using this moral language. And at the very late, least. Leighton and I will do this too. We'll, you know, we'll call Jesus a dick or the God of the Old Testament an asshole and – for me, it's more a charge of hypocrisy that he puts these laws down and then routinely violates them himself. Um, and that, that, I think, is objectively dickish behavior. I personally like to watch him violate things. You like to watch God violate things? <laughs> That's exactly what I said. Oh. 
That's great. <laughs> God, God's appeared to you three times in your room at uh, nighttime. How do you think I got violated? God. That explains so much. <laughs> wonder why Moroni chose the nighttime to do that. Well, uh, maybe... Uh, well, this is a Mormon reference. Okay, I, I was lost. Yeah, Moroni, the angel Moroni um, supposedly appeared to the young prophet Joseph Smith three times in his room telling him about the golden plates, right? And the, uh, this happened while he was trying to sleep, and apparently he didn't get any sleep that whole night. Yeah. Of well, God, God damn Moroni. <laughs> fucking angel. <laughs> well, that I believe that is an apt term, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so at the very least, um, be more aware of the moral and ethical language that you're using and why you're using it. And and at best, I think, would be to provide some sort of philosophical grounding for ethical language. Uh, and even maybe even better would be to provide a – and this is completely unrealistic – but a very nice naturalistic ethical system that's intrinsically motivating. Right, and, and I think that's the job of – the philosophers, you know, um, and, and once one of us comes up with a system that is consistent with naturalism, um, then I think that, you know, these sort of famous quote unquote philosophers can just sort of cite that and say, well, see, Christians and Mormons, uh, you don't have to worry about morality uh, because I've got, we have a system. And it's predicated on things that you can see, that you can point to. Or that you can at least say, no, this stuff exists. We observe it. Preferably, we observe it scientifically. You know. <laughs> well, that would take you philosophers uh, actually stopping your search for food and going back to thinking. I'm willing to do that. I need to lose some weight anyway. <laughs> A lot. As long so. as you're willing to pay for that, Leighton, there'll be philosophers to do it. Yeah, that's the reason why I've never taken a philosophy class. I thought it was because you were too stupid. No, actually, I take that back. I did take one philosophy class, but that was because a girlfriend of mine took too many courses and she asked me to pass the class for her, so she would bring the homework and, uh, like, Aristotle to me and I'd read it and tell her what to say. Did you apologize to her for failing the class? Uh, actually, I never got my grade. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I feel horrible for your girlfriend. Oh, that, that may be why we broke up. So. <laughs> you, you were her only resource. <laughs> yeah, actually, she brought uh, her entire philosophy class to me and just said, here, you understand this stuff better than I do. Take it. So I'm like, all right. <laughs> That's rough. Yeah, it is. Rough. What, is that, what does that say about your girlfriend? That just shows what kind of litter I pick from. I wonder who's stupider. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that would have to be her because, uh, I mean, everybody's heard the stuff I spout out on this podcast. You can only imagine what I'm saying on a term paper. So, Absolutely. Well, Seth, uh, I'd like to invite you back when you come up with that ethical system, so keep us posted. So we'll all be I'll dead be working when that on happens. It. So. Excellent.